You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hello to all of you online. Hello to you guys here in the service. My name is Carrie Gray, and I'm executive over our adult ministries team here at Real Life, and I'm excited to celebrate with you this morning. I'm honored, and I'm humbled, but today is a big day. Today is Life Group kickoff. Yes, get some woohoos. Yes, and I see some pump, fist pumping. Um, so, life groups. This is a time where our community comes together in smaller relational em- environments in homes all throughout the community. They come together to share and connect and to minister with one another, and it's all for the purpose of discipleship. We believe that we're here to be disciples and to make disciples. And so this year we get to celebrate. We have groups that are starting back up, groups that have been going on for years now. And then we also have brand new groups that are starting. Come on. Yes. Okay. Brand new groups that are starting. So, um, yes. So anyways, I am excited about that. But, you know, I've been reading a book. And there was this line that jumped out of this book, and it said, the gospel we preach determines the disciples we make. What we believe determines what we do. You know, here at Real Life, our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And we believe we can do that with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at the life of Christ and we look at the followers, and we see how they did life together, we can learn a lot through that process. A lot of the gospel that we believe is found in those statements. The book of Acts. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but I just absolutely love this book. It is the beginning of the church that we get to celebrate today. It's 28 chapters, jam-packed with awesomeness, and it's written by Luke, who was a traveling partner with Paul. And in chapter one, we get to see Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. But before he goes, he looks at his guys and he's like, I have a gift for you. I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait for me there, or wait there. And then in chapter Two, we see the apostles in the upper room with a couple of other folks, and they're praying. And then it happens. The gift of the Holy Spirit descends upon them, and with it comes the power of the Holy Spirit and a boldness within Peter that we have never seen before. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, this is the same man that two months earlier denied Jesus three times. When asked, do you know Jesus? He's like, I do not. This Peter, he is no longer denying. He is about to confront. Because when the Holy Spirit descended upon them, the sound was so loud that people from all over the town came rushing over. And as they saw the men coming out of the dwelling, they were taken back. They were different. They were talking different. So much so that the people in the crowd thought they were drunk. Peter says, we are not drunk. In fact, this Jesus, who you saw do miracles, wonders, and signs, this Jesus that was handed over to you and with the help of wicked men, you hung him on the cross. This Jesus that was buried and had died, guess what? 
he has risen. He was raised from the dead. And then Peter goes on in chapter two and he says, do you remember David, our patriarch? He had spoken about the resurrection and the coming Messiah. And people, says Peter, it has happened. And I am, we are witnesses to this. And then in verse 37, we read that the, the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they turned to the apostles and to Peter, and they said, brothers, what do we do? I want to take a time out, because there's a lot going on in this chapter, and we could miss some things if we don't pay attention to it, because there's some things here that Peter says that are pretty important. Peter calls this Jesus, Lord, Messiah, and Christ, And he says, we have seen Jesus raised from the dead. You see, no one at this point really believed that people were raised from the dead. They all had hope that someday God would send someone that would overcome death. Peter is saying, that time has come. And up to this point, the disciples and a lot of people in the crowd, they had witnessed Jesus' teachings. They had seen miracles. They've seen wonders. They've seen signs. Some people called Jesus a prophet. Some called him rabbi. Jesus claimed to be God because that is, in fact, what got him killed. And Peter said, yep, that's right. Peter's eyes have been opened to the good news that for generations his people had been hoping for. Peter was caught smack dab in the middle of prophecy being fulfilled. And he is telling the crowd, wake up. Open your eyes because this Jesus, he is Lord, Messiah, and Christ. He's been raised from the dead. And the people in the crowd, they believed and they responded. This declaration is kind of what I want to lean in a little bit more this morning, okay? Because sometimes we get so removed from the first century Jews that we can miss some stuff here. But what was the meaning behind Lord, Christ, and Messiah? The title Christ is very powerful. It's rich with Old Testament meaning. We can trace the word Christ back to its Hebrew origins, which means Messiah, So both terms, Christ and Messiah, mean anointed one. In ancient times, a king was the anointed one. And as such, to confess Jesus as Christ is to connect him as God's anointed one. He's the king of God's kingdom. Christ is a holy word that's reserved for the long-awaited Messiah, the one that the prophets had talked about and the one that God promised to send. There is a new king on the scene and it is not Caesar, says Peter. It is Jesus Christ and this is revolutionary talk for them. Peter declares it. We see it declared by Paul in 1 Corinthians. The title Christ carries the weight of the entire Old Testament. We see it confirmed in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then all through the New Testament of believers, this is confirmed. In fact, it's one word that actually encapsulates 
the Bible's teaching about God's promised Savior. I don't know about you guys, but this lights a fire in my soul. I have been studying this, and the more I lean in and learn, the more excited that I get. When I practiced this, I was going so fast, my daughter was like, slow down. And I was like, I can't help it. It's exciting. But my point is this, that if we agree with Peter, and we agree with Paul, and we agree with the other witnesses, and we declare Jesus as Christ, then we are declaring him as our Lord, as our King. And I don't know about you, but here in the 21st century, living in America, I have to tell you that I am not used to living under a king. In fact, in America, we have pretty strong opinions about someone being in charge of us. We don't like it, and we don't like being told what to do. But here we read that Jesus is king. King of what? King of his kingdom, right? Adam went into this last week, and if you missed it, you got to go back and listen. But as we look into Acts 1, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he spent 40 days with his disciples talking all about the teaching of the kingdom of God. Jesus references the kingdom of God more than a hundred times during his ministry. The kingdom message was pretty important to the gospel Jesus spoke about because at this point, they are used to this being Caesar's kingdom under Rome's rule. Jesus is actually teaching them that the kingdom of God is the restoration of God's rule over all things, not Caesar's. The kingdom of God is not just a place, but it's a state of being. It's the rule of God in the heavens and the world and in the hearts of men and women. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is not just a place. It's a state of being. It's the rule of God in the heavens and the world, but also in the hearts of men and women. This kingdom, Jesus is inviting us to be a part of this. We see the first invitation given to Peter in Matthew 4.19. Jesus says to him, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. You know, here at Real Life, this is where we get our definition of disciple. And I know disciple can be a real churchy word, but really it simply means an apprentice, a student, a follower. In Acts, Peter extends that invitation to the crowd, and that same invitation is extended to us as well. God is a gentleman. He is not pushy, but his kingdom, it is advancing. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you want to accept him as Lord? Do you want to be part of his kingdom? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? This goes back to what Peter was trying to tell the crowd, okay? If so, then what do we do, they asked You repent, you get baptized, and you fall under God's rule. Why? 
It's his kingdom. And in this kingdom, he is passionate for each and every one of us. He has a relentless pursuit for us to partner with him. In his eyes, we are all wanted, welcomed, and we are necessary. You know, as disciples, we follow, we learn, we learn, and we're changed by the Holy Spirit, and we're asked to be on mission. So what's this mission? Well, we find it in Matthew 28. There, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he's Lord and Messiah, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying, don't just be my disciple, but make disciples. Now we get the opportunity to carry this torch, just like the early church, advancing God's kingdom. So how do we do this? What does it look like? Well, we can look at the life of Christ. And when we do, it is all about relationship. There was a conference that I attended, and they asked two questions. They said, what was Jesus like, and what did Jesus do? Simple questions, but along with the other participants, those questions forced us to look at the Bible and the gospel and its stories way more closely than we had before. And as we did, we began to consider that these stories, they're also training material for us to learn what it is like to walk in God's kingdom under his rule. So during the conference, people began to throw out answers to the questions. Well, Jesus was kind. Jesus was compassionate. He would heal. He corrected. He rebuked. He forgave. He invited people in. Think about the life-on-life conversations that Jesus had with his disciples as they sat on the hillsides together. He was always talking to them about what it would be like to be molded and shaped by God, about the things that God values, what God is like. You know, some of the people began to follow him, and they would follow him from town to town. Many people wanted to be healed. Some just wanted to witness a miracle. Some stood at a distance, and they just watched But for those who were constantly with Jesus, they had an all-access pass to the life of Jesus. They get to eat with him. They got to laugh with him. They walked along the roads together with him. Jesus didn't sidestep the relational aspect of disciple-making. He embraced it as an essential part of his ministry. And why did he work so diligently to create a culture like this? Because he wasn't content with his disciples, especially the 12, knowing about him in some sort of vacuum. He wanted more for, him, more for them. The book of James tells us that the demons have knowledge of God, 
but their knowledge does not result in surrendering to him or making him Lord. Jesus never wanted his followers to understand the teachings so that they could simply raise their theological pedigree. He wanted true transformation, which comes primarily through the life-on-life relationships. And this goes back earlier to the statement I was sharing that the disciples or the gospel we believe determines the disciples we make. Part of the reason we have trouble making disciples in the church is that many people don't understand it or they don't even believe that that's what they signed up for when they accepted the good news of Jesus. We are called to be disciples and we are called to make disciples. And making disciples, it's not about speed. It takes time to listen to the Holy Spirit as he works within us to accomplish these things. That's right, just like the disciples, just like the 3,000 that were there that morning, the same Holy Spirit is given to us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. He indwells within us. He will nudge us. He will move us. It's through him that we're able to advance God's kingdom letting his reign rule over our lives and inviting other people to do the same. You know, when I left home as a young adult, there came a season where I had to own my own faith. I had watched and participated in the faith of my parents, but now came a time where I had to really buckle in and decide what is it that I wanted to believe. So my husband and I, we attended church And together, we began to take it seriously. We asked the Holy Spirit, you got to help us. (laughs) We don't know what we're doing. And you need to send some people because we can't do this alone. I mean, we know those two things. But there was um, one Sunday at church, they extended an invitation. They said, get into a life group. And a gal I knew, she asked us, she said, would you like to come and check out ours? And I said, sure. I mean, at least I knew I was going to know one person, right? (laughs) So I think it's been now 25 years that we've been doing life groups. And as we attended, we showed up to that house that first day. I don't know whose house this was. That was kind of weird and different, but I did know the friend that invited me. I knew a couple of other people on the group, but there were others I didn't know. And the first couple weeks, yes, it can feel weird, but given time, I want to tell you, my faith was transformed because you got to remember, I was a young girl in my faith. I remember being shocked as people actually opened their Bible, and then they wrote in it. I'd never written in my Bible before, or highlighted or marked it. I mean, that was different for me. I remember listening to a lady, and she shared the importance of listen to God's voice. And I leaned in, and I said, what does he sound like? I did not know that God would talk directly to us. That was transformative for me. I learned that God actually wanted a relationship with me. I learned that he thinks I'm pretty darn amazing. It's in these groups that we began to learn the importance of memorizing scripture, which again, I didn't understand that either because you can flip the book open, it's right there. I didn't know that. I learned that God wanted us to minister to others, to take people meals, to go visit them in the hospitals. 
I remember listening and learning that it really matters when you sit eye to eye with someone and just take the time to listen. We began to learn to say hi to our neighbors and really get to know them in heartfelt, meaningful ways. I remember listening to a lady and I marveled as she went back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament and back again. And I was like, how are you doing that? Where did you go to school? Where did you study? And she's like, Carrie, I have just been reading my Bible. I think I've read it through about six or seven times. And the more that I read it, the more I could start to see themes. I could see things linking together. And I was like, I can do that. If you can do that, I can do that. You're just a little bit farther ahead of me. All this came from our small group where we could learn to ask questions. But it wasn't just me that was changing. I could see the lives around me changing as well. We were sharing stories with one another. We were living our lives together. We were learning new truths about God and his word together. Our faith was being sculpted and changed with a deeper understanding. We were connecting with one another and we were discovering that our lives, they have purpose. I am here to become a disciple of Christ and I am here to make disciples. And the best way to do that is to follow Jesus' example and do it in relational way. A thought was shared, and I believe it. We live in a world right now that is moving at breakneck speed, right? So, but I have to tell you, it is the number one barrier that is keeping our churches from developing relationally authentic disciple-making cultures. For leaders between our families, careers, ministry opportunities, and hopefully having some fun, right? It doesn't seem like there's time to make disciples the way Jesus did. Life feels like it's moving faster all the time. And I wonder if you ever feel caught in the middle of wanting to make disciples, but also wondering how it fits in your schedule. I totally get this feeling. And I hear people say it actually all the time. I don't have time to make disciples the way Jesus did. After more than 25 years of trying to do my best to live this disciple-making culture, I can tell you that that mindset, I think, is misguided. Granted, Jesus doesn't live in a world, didn't live in a world of high-speed internet, technology overload, convenient global travel, and the overall busyness that we sometimes get our lives caught in, we are at a disadvantage because we have less time to spend investing in people. Or do we? How we choose to spend our time determines how our church culture will develop. Relationships take time, and cultivating discipling relationships among our church family requires the same intentionality and time as any other relationship. Slowing down and modeling for someone what following Jesus looks like and cultivating a culture of disciple-making is actually becoming a fading art. But now more than ever, people are confused There's incredible loneliness, there's hurt, 
there's relational pain, we can get the opportunity to give the gift of true biblical love. We will see, we will see people transformed. That's how the love of God works when we step into these things, but it requires us to take some risk. We must put ourselves out there so that God can impact others. We might risk our own security, but we will gain spiritual growth in ourselves. I promise you that. And you will see it happen in others. Living a life with compassion, vulnerability, sacrifice, and a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit, it can be scary at times. And it can. But I promise you that it's worth it. All of these attributes were things that were exhibited by our Savior. It's not complicated. It's actually quite simple. But it appears complicated because it will require something of you. Jesus knew that, and he still included it in his gospel message. He said, follow me, and I will help you fish for people. And as we say yes, we are blessed by his grace. And because he is Lord, we submit to what he asks us to do. He said, be my disciples and make disciples. Who in your world, in this season in your life, is someone that you could reach out to? And just like he did with the disciples, and just like he did with that crowd that day, He added to the number, and he will do the same for us as we devote ourselves to the disciples' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. The culture they carried on, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it became the catalyst that spread the gospel to the far reaches of the world. Relational environments are just as important for the growth of our church today as they were for the early church. The more we disciple people in our life groups, in our churches, in our homes, the more that we are going to see lives impacted. And the more that they're impacted, the more people are going to invite their lost friends into something like that. So, I am hopeful that you remember that the Bible keeps us centered, okay? The good news found in the gospel, keeps us centered in our mission, and it gives us a really beautiful picture of what it looks like to be disciples who make disciples. When doubt creeps in, and it will, and if you lose your passion, and you may, remember to just turn to the scriptures, invite the Holy Spirit in, And as you look at the life of Christ found in the Gospels there, examine those few details in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about his life. Remember that Jesus is the greatest disciple maker. And as you look at that, your lives can be transformed. Jesus was the best disciple maker who had ever walked the earth. His ways are absolutely the best His method of spreading the good news through storytelling, speaking the truth, 
focusing on building and strengthening relationships, they have actually stood the test of time. So we're going to go to communion, but before we do, um, if you are someone who believes that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to take communion with us. Uh, We have people coming down the aisles here that can help you with that. But before we do, I just want to hit these last couple of points. First, it really does start with recognizing that Christ loves his people. He loves you so very much. This is essential to the gospel message. And if you don't understand this, I think that's where we're supposed to start. We have people here today that will be up after service that you can pray and talk to. You can mark it on your connection card and one of our pastors will follow up with you on that. But if someone were to ask you, what's the gospel that you believe? Could you answer that question? If you don't have someone who's mentoring or a community that you are connected to, your next step is going to be get in a life group, okay? Real life is a church that is passionate about the fact that we are not to do life alone. One of the best ways to get into a life group is to talk to someone that you know and ask them about their group. Ask if you can just check out their group. We're also looking for volunteers for more life groups. We're looking for facilitators, for host homes, even folks who'd be willing to watch littles of families that have kiddos. Um, We will help you. We'll train and equip you in regards to those things. And maybe you're out there and you're like, Carrie, I'm already in a life group. Yay! I'm excited! Guess what? Your next step is to look at your conversations. I want to challenge you guys to go deeper this year in your conversations about being a disciple and making a disciple. How can your group grow this year about being on mission? In Acts, man, Peter is a preaching, and I love it. He is not the same man that denied Jesus three times. Because Peter's eyes have been opened, and when you know what you know, you know what you know, right? Peter declares Jesus as Christ and Lord. Paul declares it. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the New Testament of believers. The gospel we believe is that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread And when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes again. And drink the cup. And then Jesus was buried. And for three days they wondered. And on the third day, Jesus rose again. We have witnesses to this. The gospel is filled with stories on this. 
The good news is that it actually happened. We believe that he is Lord and Messiah, that this is his kingdom. We believe that he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who believe and call on his name. We believe that if we get the incredible invitation to follow, to repent, and to be baptized, and we get to follow Jesus' example, and we get the invitation to be a part of building his kingdom, be on his mission as we let God rule. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. God, I just thank you for the scriptures where we can look at just testimonies of people. God, I wasn't there, but to have witnesses that were, for them to share from going being scared and denying to an incredible boldness. God, something is so different about Peter. And I thank you for that. Lord, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for the invitation to come under you, Lord, that you'll close the gaps where we need it, Father, as we just submit to you. I just pray as we go this morning, Lord, that we can be reminded of the good news of the gospel. God, you're so personal, so I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us right where we are with what we need. Thank you. Thank you that this is your kingdom, that you are advancing, that you are going, that you have won the victory. Help us to rest in that. We say this in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.